Well, good morning, my friends. I'm so glad you could be with me today on our Wednesdays in the Word. Last week, we began to examine Romans chapter 6. We're in the midst of an extended study of that book. Romans chapter 6 begins a major shift in the focus of the book. I'm going to pick up our reading today in chapter 6 of the book of Romans, beginning to read in verse 1 and reading through verse 5. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Last time, as we began to examine this sixth chapter, we encountered that reality that sin is alive and well on planet Earth. That we, though redeemed children of God, having rested in what Christ has done for us on the cross and therefore been justified by faith, we still have a very real battle here and now. Sin continues to be a source of temptation for us, and sadly, a source of defeat for us in our day-to-day -day walk in varying degrees within our life. We saw in chapter 5 that sin at its heart is the orientation to rebel against God. To rebel against God, first of all, by rejecting his laws as they are written in the word and written on our conscience. And secondly, even more importantly, rejecting his rightful place, his rightful authority as our Lord, our God, over our lives. We discovered how sin, that response to God, first found its expression in Satan. Later, Satan targeted mankind in the garden. In the garden, Adam and Eve succumbed to the temptation and broke God's law and rejected his rightful authority. We also discovered in those chapters in chapter 5, the reality that the consequence of Adam and Eve's choice was not just their separation from God and their corruption in that sense, but a passing on a transmission of the inclination to sin and rebel throughout all of humanity. And therefore, all of us have inherited that inclination. But even more importantly, all of us have acted on it, purposely acted on it. Each of us have been guilty of sin and rebellion against God. None of us have been able to keep the greatest of the commandments, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as a consequence, as Romans 3.23 put, put it, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. <laughs> Chapter 6 begins with this sort of question. Since we, in responding in repentance and faith to the gospel, the power of God to save us, if we, since under grace, have responded to that gospel, are covered by the life of Christ, justified in his eyes, does it really matter now, as his children redeemed, justified, does it really matter if we sin? Notice, if our sin is really covered by the cross, 
that Christ's death on the cross was sufficient for all sin, past, present, and future, if our sins are covered, then does it really make any difference if we sin as a believer, if we choose to sin as a believer? Then if you were with me last time, as we began to unfold these verses, the answer is a very clear, yes, it matters. <laughs> to think it doesn't matter means, what are we thinking? What's in our head? We need to reflect on the biblical truths. We saw last time that, listen, spiritual growth, improving in holiness and righteousness, obedience to the Lord is at God's core heart intention for all of his redeemed children. We also reminded ourselves, looking at the scriptures, that even when we find forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ, to continue to sin will still hurt us here and now. It will still work to injure us and it will still work to corrupt us here and now, independent of whether it impacts on our eternal destiny as redeemed children of God. And then we also saw, and this is basically the bridge into what we're studying today, God in saving us in response to our repentance and faith has changed us at the deepest level of our life. He's modified the very core, transformed the very core of who we are. And as a result, at our very deepest level now, to sin grieves us. We cannot sin without grief, without guilt. And now we want to do what God wants us to do. All reasons why, no, even as redeemed believers, sin still matters. We, it does matter whether we sin or not, not because it affects whether we're saved, but it certainly affects whether we grow and certainly affects whether we are healthy and satisfied in our spiritual walk. Well, let's continue in our study in these verses because verses 2 to 5 that I read to you today continue to pick up on these themes. The first and fundamental thing that they tell us are, is this, by no means, how can we who've died to sin still live in it? Don't you realize that when all, all of us have been baptized into Jesus Christ, when we believe we were baptized into his death, we were buried therefore with him by baptism unto death in order that as Christ was raised by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When you and I responded to the gospel, the core focus of chapters 1 to 5, when we responded to the gospel, we were saved. Praise God. But part of that salvation was to make us new creations. And when we became a new creation, this passage tells us we literally, actually, quote, died to sin. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean we died to sin, especially in light of the fact that you and I are very aware that sin is alive and well? <laughs> what does it mean that we've died to sin? Well, this idea of dying to sin is not the idea that sin is not still a power in this world and not still really a temptation for us. But what it does mean is that something fundamental has happened in our lives so that sin no longer reigns over us. Sin reigns over, rules the natural world around us. It ruled over us prior to repenting and believing in the gospel. But now God says, in response to our 
repentance and faith. Having been made a new creation, born anew, we no longer need to live under the reign of that sin. We're no longer needing to live as victims, helpless in the face of the power of that sin that seeks to reign over us. We are not helpless. We are not hopeless in the struggle. Sin, Genesis 4 tells us, is crouching at the door, seeking to master us. That reality doesn't change when we became a believer. Sin still crouching at the door, but what's changed is what sin now has the possibility of doing. Sin no longer has the ability to master us apart from our decision to permit it. We now have been changed. One of the theologians put it this way, once justified, and again, that's our focus in the earlier chapters, once justified, God has, quote, broken the fall's infection. God has broken sin's infection in our life. Sin, on one sense, is no longer able to keep us under condemnation before God because we passed out of condemnation into life justified, covered by the perfect life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have security and hope in eternal life for that reason. But sin is no longer able to separate us from God eternally or purposely. But sin, of course, as an ongoing choice in our life, can temporarily put us at a distance from God. Now, in these verses, in these opening parts of Romans chapter 6, we discover that sin, as a consequence of its infection being broken by justification, sin no longer is able to reign over us apart from our cooperation. We have choices in the matter. Prior to knowing Christ, even the most self-disciplined person ultimately came under the mastery of sin in their life if not in a moral sense, certainly in a spiritual sense, of letting themselves rather than God be first place in their life. God says, the power has been broken. Things are now different and can be in practice different for you. The scripture uses this phrase, died to sin, to describe it in these verses. But here's the point. You and I, God says, have died to sin. But the whole point of Romans 6, 7, and 8 as chapters is this. We have died to sin, but sin definitely has not died. So let's understand what's died. What's died is our inclination, or better way to put it, our potential in slavery to sin. What hasn't died is sin. It's alive and active. Kicking. It remains an active enemy to us. And sin, the temptation to sin, comes at us dramatically and purposely still, day by day, as we walk as redeemed children of God in this world. It attacks us and tempts us through the world system itself, which is a product of the enemy and seeks to conform us to a life pattern of attitudes and actions displeasing to God. 
It attacks us through our old self. And we're going to talk a lot more about that in Romans 6 and 7 and into chapter 8. In other words, you and I, though redeemed, still in the members of our body and in our brains, have old programming that has come out of the flesh, the old man. And it seeks to reassert itself and its control over our current walk. As I say, much more to say about that. The scripture also reveals to us that Satan is still alive and well on this earth, and he attacks us. He stalks about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He attacks us as children of God. All of these sources, the world, the flesh, the enemy, Satan, work to tempt us to succumb to sin and allow sin to reassert itself as the reigner in our life. It is a struggle we continue to face in this world. This reality and this struggle needs to be admitted by each believer. God doesn't want us practicing self-deception in any of this. God wants us to have a realism about those facts that we face. I was thinking how later, and we'll talk about it much more extendedly, but in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 15 through verse 23, Paul, under direction of the Holy Spirit, addresses this ongoing struggle, this very reality of sin still alive and kicking, even though we've died to sin, temptation still a very real problem. He addresses it in this way, verse 15 of chapter 7 of Romans, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do, I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it's no longer I who did it, but sin that's dwelling in me. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, because he has a new heart. But not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Sound familiar? When you look at yourself in the mirror, does that message sort of ring true to you? I think it does for all of us. We find a war going on. Temptation to sin continues to face us as a struggle, even though we are redeemed, even though we are new creations, even though we are justified in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, sin has not died yet. It's still alive and kicking, as I say. But listen, Romans 6 and Romans 7 and Romans 8 is all uniting together and telling us, listen, sin is alive and kicking, but the playing field has changed. The struggle has changed with temptation to sin. You and I are no longer spiritually dead. 
no longer under the reign of sin, helpless and hopeless to do anything ultimately about it. You and I have become new creations in our salvation. And more than that, you and I have now been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, whose enabling strength helps us in the struggle so that we can defeat sin and the temptation to sin. You see, the playing field has changed. S Satan, the world, the flesh, still on the, still on the playing field. Sin alive and kicking is a temptation to sin in the world, still on the playing field. But the team opposing it has changed. You've changed, and I've changed if I know Jesus Christ. I've become a new creation, so they no longer, the, the opposing team no longer has an asset at the deepest level of me. Well, it has some assets in me from the old flesh, but it doesn't have the asset of my heart anymore. I want to do what God wants to do. And then... I am not alone in facing the opposition. The Holy Spirit now indwells me, the third person of the Trinity, giving me enabling power to defeat temptation and sin. Therefore, while the battle still goes on, the playing field has in fact changed. And as a result, we can at last find a different outcome in the game. The outcome previous, sin always won. <laughs> the outcome now, we are free at last. And we can begin to live differently in freedom. It is our union with Christ that makes all of that changed reality possible for us. When you and I repented of our sin, we were united with Christ. This passage talks about it as being baptized into Christ, in union with him. This union, which now exists for the redeemed believer, is a union symbolized in baptism. Our faith in Christ, in his work on the cross, his redemption for us, has changed everything. We were baptized or united with Christ into his death. In other words, when he died, we died. Meaning his death on the cross, sufficient to pay for our sin, even though we were not the ones on the cross. He was on the cross. We were united and baptized with him into his burial. We died with him meaning who we were is not who we are. The old man has died, at least insofar as it expresses the heart now of who we are, because we become new creations. It also says in baptism that we were united with him in his resurrection. His resurrection proved the payment for sin was sufficient, but it also demonstrates that new life is there. You and I have received newness of life. We now have been made new creations. Eventually, we will receive new physical bodies, but we've already received a new core, new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, it's become new. This new creation 
this new inner person that we've become is now able to address the sin question very differently than the old person that we were was able to address it. Being baptized into Christ, you and I have become new creations who now can live with the very power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ when facing sin's temptations. As verse 4 put it, we were baptized in order that we could walk in newness of life. What a wonderful phrase, walk in newness of life. God's great intention for us now as redeemed believers is to walk in newness of life, not only to be saved, not only to be justified, not only to be having a future and a hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, passing out a condemnation into life, but here and now being able to walk in newness of life. Are you walking in newness of life because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that an apt description of your life? God says it should be. His intention is that it would be. When our life currently as a redeemed believer does not reflect walking in newness of life, we're distorting the very goal of God in our salvation here and now. We are in a sense, conflicting with part of the power of the gospel as God wants it expressed in the midst of a fallen world around us. To walk as a redeemed child of God, but unsurrendered, has us walk in an internal contradiction. We've been made new inside. How can we walk as if we hadn't? How can we feel God would be pleased with us if we walk as if we hadn't become new creations? How could we expect that we, in fact, could please God? And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, I make it my aim to please him. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, understand what pleases the Lord. What pleases the Lord, brother and sister, is that you be walking in newness of life, progressing in growth as a disciple, progressing in reflecting the holiness of God, reflecting the very life of Christ. To persist under sin, to persist in a life pattern that reflects the old you, not the new you, conflicts with God's great intention. And because it does, God is not pleased with us when that's the case. Does that mean we've lost our salvation? No. But the issue isn't only eternal pleasing of God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, but temporal pleasing of God through our combination with and cooperation with the work that he's already done to make us new creations, enabled us through his Holy Spirit, wanting obedience and growth and holiness as a disciple. Therefore, as Romans 12, 1 puts it, God commands us in light of all of these things to be presenting our bodies a living sacrifice to him, living for him, understanding we've been bought with a price, knowing his intention for us as redeemed children of God is that we would be living different lives than what we lived prior to turning to Christ. You remember, last time we talked about those two great questions, what must I do to be saved? But then secondly, what must I do as a saved believer to be living pleasing to the Lord? 
The answers the scripture gives us are very different. <laughs> what must I do to be saved? Repent and believe because there's nothing you can do to atone for yourself. What must I be doing now as a saved person to live pleasing to the Lord? Present your body as a living sacrifice. Grow in holiness. Do not allow sin to reign in your body. Live in newness of life. <laughs> See, very different answers. The answers in the second question call for our cooperation and obedience in the process. The fact is, we can be strengthened now through the indwelling Holy Spirit. That very Holy Spirit who raised the Lord Jesus Christ to newness of life in the resurrection. Listen to how it's put in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. This is the immeasurable power toward us who believe. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 and 16 put it this way. For this reason I bow my knees before the Lord, before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. He's made your inner being new when you repented and believed in the gospel. He's indwelt you with the Holy Spirit. Now his great intention is that you would be strengthened with power from that Holy Spirit as you choose to walk in newness of life. Are you walking in newness of life today? Well, there's much more to say about these things. We've got a lot further to go in chapter 6, and we've got chapter 7 and chapter 8 ahead of us, all on this overarching theme of defeating the power of sin, living discipleship holy lives now as redeemed believers. Join me next time as, Lord willing, we continue to unfold the scriptures together in the Wednesdays in the Word.